I want to start off with a question for you to ponder. What do you think about when you think about God? When somebody was to ask you the question, what do you think about when you think about God? What is it that comes to your mind? It's truly an important question. As a matter of fact, a, a writer, a theologian who has now passed on but is known by the name of A.W. Tozer once said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Again, question for you. What do you think about? How do you perceive God when you think about God? Some people think of God, about God as the force. Just this week on the 16th, there was a brand new Star Wars movie came out and nerds all over the world united. Anybody in here some Star Wars nerds? That's what I'm talking about. And a lot of people see God as kind of this Star Wars, the force. We know that there's good and we know that there's evil and somehow there's this thing that's happening in the world around us, but you really can't touch it. You really can't know it. God is just somehow seen in our minds as the force. Other people, when they think about God, they think about God as Grandpa God. Oh, we go visit him on Sundays, or we visit him every once in a while. He's the man upstairs, and he loves us, but we don't really, we can't really be close or really know him. He's Grandpa God. Other people see him as referee God. He's just waiting up in heaven with his whistle ready to blow, ready to throw the flag as soon as we mess up to throw a penalty. You're on that date on Friday night, single folks, and, and all of a sudden the whistle blows, illegal use of hand, back him up 15, referee God. Other people see God as on-star God. Oh, we know he's there, but don't come unless I call for you. You remember OnStar? It's not as popular. I've never owned OnStar because you can't afford that kind of car, but nonetheless. When it first came out, I was intrigued because there's this little button in your car. And it's pretty much dormant until you need something. And then you push the button and all of a sudden, whatever it is, you may need directions. You may need somebody to help you with roadside assistance. OnStar God. God, I want you to be there, but would you wait until I push the button? Other people see God as lawyer God. Well, God, I know I messed up, but can we make some kind of arrangement here? Maybe a, a little negotiation, God. God, you're, you're my lawyer God. Other people see God as boyfriend prom, boyfriend God, that I come and I experience the emotions every weekend on a, on a Sunday, and I, I, I feel good about myself, and everything's good, and, but I really don't know Him all that well. And then finally, people often see God as clockmaker God. That when we look around at the world that we live in, it's obvious to us and it's very clear that this just didn't happen by happenstance. That there must be a God out there somewhere who put all these intricacies together and made this all begin to tick. And somehow he wound it up, set it on its axis, and now he's far off in a distance clockmaker God again when you think about God how do you see God according to A.W. Tozer it's highly important how we answer that well today we're continuing our series entitled peace has come 
And this series, what we're doing is we're exploring how because of Christmas and because of Jesus' coming, that peace has come in a world of conflict. And the primary passage that we're looking at is actually just one verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It's a passage that was written 700 years before Jesus ever came as a baby in a manger by a prophet whose name was Isaiah. When you look at Isaiah chapter 8, before we get to our chapter where our passage is found, you find that the world that Isaiah lived in had all kinds of conflict. But he gives this prophetic word that there was this Messiah, this Jesus that would be coming as a baby in a manger, as a child that would be brought unto us, that would bring peace in the midst of conflict. Today, I want us to read that passage one more time and allow God to help us to understand what Jesus brings to the table as a baby in a manger, ultimately to die on the cross for our sins. It's a very familiar passage, especially at this time of year. Most of us could, could quote this, but let's read it. It says this in verse nine, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Well, this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to focus on the one title that is said there that says that He is our everlasting Father. Did you know that the primary way that Jesus, while He was walking on this earth, desired for you and me to see God was as Father? Not as clockmaker God who's off in the distance, not as on-star God who is on a call button for us, not as lawyer God or referee God. Jesus, while he walked on this earth, he wanted us to know God as God the Father. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, in the Gospels, the Gospels is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They illustrate and they help us to understand from birth to ascension, Jesus' life. In the gospel, when Jesus referred to God, 189 times he referred to him as Father. To my knowledge, in the gospels, there's only one time that he does not call God Father, and that is when he's dying on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Outside of that instance, every other time he talks about God, the primary way he wants us to see God is he wants us to see God as Father. And from our passage, we learn real quickly that he's not only Father, but he is everlasting Father. Kind of a funny story, that word everlasting, there's so much depth that he is always, he's always been, always will be, he is always going to be there, and he's always going to be our father. Here's the funny story. Just yesterday, we uh, already had one of our celebrations. My family's kind of a large family. We have, I'm the youngest of six kids, and then there's cousins and all kinds of people that come together when we have a family gathering. And so we already had our family Christmas. We usually do it the Saturday before Christmas, and we went down and had our family Christmas. Well, we're getting prepared for the day. We're ready to go down, and, and uh, while we still have a little bit of time at home, my oldest son, who is almost about to be 15, in about a week he'll be 15 years old, 
Then I have a middle son who's seven years old, Houston. And then I have a little girl whose name's Hensley. Well, our middle child, our seven-year-old, goes up to my wife who's in the, in the bathroom getting ready to go and everything and says, Mom, Hudson's playing a game on his, his, his Xbox. Can I play that game? And she's like, well, I don't think you'll understand it. You're a little bit too young. But don't worry, Houston. When you get to be Hudson's age, you can play it then. This is where the funny statement comes in. He's only eight years older, just remember. Mom, will you still be alive then? <laughs> wow. I guess he was worried whether he, <laughs> he would have an everlasting mother. I don't know. Do you know that we have an everlasting father? He will always be. Everlasting. If you think of those two words, everlasting and father, we could just take the whole time just exploring those two words alone. The beautiful picture that that paints for us. Everlasting talks about he is preeminent. Father talks about that he is intimate. That he who is before time and will always be the everlasting, the almighty, he is preeminent, but he is also intimate enough to be your father and to be my father. Understand the passage, though, that we're speaking of in Isaiah ch chapter 9, verse 6. It's talking about a child, though. It's talking about a son, isn't it? He says, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, then the Prince of Peace. How can a child, how can a son be an everlasting father? Well, as we have established, and if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you, there was some depth of theology we talked about last week that is important to understand. But as we learned last week, in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples one time while he's walking on this earth, and he's there, and Philip and all these other disciples, and they're saying, God, why don't you show us the Father? He said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. He said, I am the Father, and he goes on in that passage to help us understand the, the depth of truth of the Trinity, and he says, and when I go away, I'm going to send the Spirit, and in that passage, we see Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and so far unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, a son, a child is the Father, because the Son, the child, is part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. And so when we begin to see a glimpse of Jesus, Jesus teaches us, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because we're unique in our purpose. And we're one in unity. So what we want to do is we want to say, God, could you help us to understand what it means to see you as an everlasting Father? But when we hear that He is our everlasting Father, it creates issues. Because I don't care who you are in this place today, whether your dad was a model dad or your dad was an absent dad, every one of us in our life have daddy issues. It is perhaps, and I believe, the most significant relationship in all of the world, a relationship with a, a, a daughter or a son with their father. It doesn't matter how beautiful your relationship or how bad your relationship with your father. When we look in earthly perspective, 
we have a difficulty understanding our Heavenly Father because the truth is we all have some sort of daddy issues. You don't believe it, all you have to do is get a bunch of people around a corner and, and say, let's sit around and talk about dad for just a moment. And all of a sudden you see how important that relationship is. In my relationship with my father, incredible. Had a wonderful dad. When uh, we sing this song, Good, Good Father, I can kind of relate to that because I understand what it is to have had a good father. My, man, my dad was a man of integrity. He was a hard worker all of his life. He worked at Dow Chemical Plant. He just he did whatever it took to provide for us. He was a provider. He was a protector. He would take care of us even though there were six of us. He would go out of his way. He was somebody who would sacrifice for us even if it meant he didn't have. He would make sure that we had. He was someone, though, who was also a very strict disciplinarian. He said it once, and he did not intend to say it twice. Anybody remember that generation? Oh, we know, you're, we know the people in this room that don't spank their kids. We know. You don't have to tell us. That was not my father. He was a disciplinarian. He would tell you once, and he meant when he told you. Matter of fact, kind of a funny story. I'm not sure how I ever got married to Leah because this happened before we got married and she still somehow chose to be married to me. But it was like a Christmas break. I don't remember. We came down to uh, visit the family and uh, she, we weren't even married yet, but we came down for like a Christmas. I don't know what it was. And uh, I was down on the couch and I was asleep and it was time to wake up for breakfast and I woke up right away because I could smell breakfast, and she was up in a room somewhere, and my dad said, okay, I'm going to go upstairs and wake up Leah, your, your fiance at the time. He goes in, and, and Leah's asleep in the room, and he knocks on the door, no, 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 no. Leah doesn't get up. That's a problem with my dad. I think he may have given her enough grace because we were not married to knock a second time. I am not lying to you. That morning, my soon-to-be wife, before she was ever my wife, was woken up by a glass of ice-cold water. Because if you're in my dad's house, you obey my dad's rules. He was a disciplinarian. But he's also a very loving man. I can tell you in all of my life, I don't remember growing up. We had already a family of six. I do not remember a year's stretch of time in all of my growing up years that we did not have somebody, I'm not saying that they would stay with us every once in a while, somebody living with us who was down on their luck and just needed a hand up. And he would love, but he would tell them, my rules, my house, he was a disciplinarian, but he was a man of integrity. He was a man who, although he was a, a layman, he was as much of a minister as I've ever seen. And he loved the Lord. And he was an example of a good, good father. Even with all of his imperfections. Your example may have been completely different. Because again, we all have daddy issues, no matter how good or how bad our relationship with our father was. Maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe your dad was absent. Maybe your dad was not affectionate. And, and maybe they didn't love all that much. Can I tell you whether you could say my dad was a model dad or my dad was a terrible dad, we all have dad issues because all dads on this earth are imperfect. 
But understand, when we talk about God as an everlasting Father, God is not a reflection of an earthly father. He is a picture of perfection of what it means to be a truly good everlasting father. Not a reflection, rather he is perfection. Again, everlasting, he's preeminent. That word preeminent that I used a moment ago means he's surpassing all others, very distinguished in some way. He is the perfect father. Not a reflection of earthly, but a perfection of what it means. Today I want to talk to you about what that means as we're continuing this series, Prince of Peace, that he has come. And we can have peace in our life because we have an everlasting father who is perfect in every way. And I want us to look at this, this thought of everlasting father through the lens of a story that is known as the prodigal son. See, when we listen to the story of the prodigal son, as found over in chapter Luke chapter 15, we often think to ourselves from the perspective of the son. But can I tell you, it tells us actually more about the love of an everlasting father. We call it the prodigal son, but it just as easily and probably more appropriately could be, say, the everlasting father, the loving father. Because while we focus on the son, it teaches us a lot about the father. As a matter of fact, a couple of months ago in our God at the Movie series, we looked at Luke chapter 15 through the perspective of the son. But today, let's look through the lens of the father. In your notes this morning, number one, picture of the everlasting Father. Number one, the everlasting Father loves. As you're turning over to Luke chapter 15, we'll be starting in verse 11 in just a moment. But before we do, let me explain to you what happened in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 11 first. Verses 1 through 10. In Luke chapter 15, we are told three different stories. They're all stories about how something is valuable and worth being found. The first story that we hear about and the second are, are stories about a lost sheep and a lost coin. If you're familiar with those stories, the lost sheep, there's a story that is told. There's this, this shepherd that has a hundred sheep and he loses one. Will he not leave the 99 to go and search for the one? Because that one has great value. The story of the coin is similar. There's somebody who has coins and she loses one coin. Will she not turn over the house and find whatever it takes to find that valuable coin? Because that coin has value. The first two stories in the book of Luke chapter 15 tell us and it's a picture about how God would go out of his way to send a baby in a manger, ultimately to live a sinless life, die on the cross, so that the lost thing that has value can be found. It's within that context that now we get to the prodigal son. And we pick it up in the story about how much God values you and I in verse 11. Jesus is speaking, he said, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. 
Let's pause there just for a moment. That is a tremendous request. You can almost say, what nerve does this son have? Here is the son. He is the younger of two. He goes to his father, and basically what he is saying is, Daddy, I wish you were dead. Daddy, give me what I have coming to me right now because I'm going to go away from you. I don't want any part of you anymore. Give me what's coming to me and give it to me right now. I've already told you about my dad. If I walked up to my dad at this age and said, give me what's coming to me and give it to me now, I could promise you he would. <laughs> but it would not be what I was expecting. How many ever had that dad that's like the ninja move dad? You know, he can in one move within two seconds, he can uh, unbuckle the belt, da -da 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 -da, and, and he's ready to go. Oh, you want me to give you what's coming to you? I'm about to. But check this out. Can't even imagine. Verse 11 goes on to say, though, look at the reaction of this father in the story. And he divided his property between them. He didn't react like my father. Instead, the son says, give me what's coming to me. The father obliges. In this time in history, in a Jewish culture, what that means, this was the younger of two sons. The older son would get two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son would get one-third of the inheritance. And when it says here, the father did so, that he gave one-third of all that he owned to this son. What was he thinking? Under the father's care, the son had protection and provision says, I don't want your protection and provision. I want to do things my own way. I want to do it my way. I want to get outside your covering. And isn't that what we do to God sometimes? God, I know what you said. And I know under your umbrella we have protection and provision. But I want to do it my way. And then that doesn't always end up the way we were hoping. The father loved him enough to actually give him the inheritance. It doesn't seem like what I would do, but he loved him enough for him to be made low, as we'll learn in just a moment, because in being made low, he, the son, would understand true love, as we'll see in this passage here in just a moment. Keep going in verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. Let me just translate that for 2016 speak. He gathered all he had. He liquidated his assets. Said, let me take all that you have given, and I'm going to go to a far country. And it goes on, and there he, spent, he squandered it all, spent it all on reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Here's this man. He gets his inheritance. He leaves the protection and the provision of the father's household. And the Bible says he goes and he spends it on reckless living. Let me just tell you what that means. In sinful lifestyle. Now let me explain something. 
Anybody who tells you that sin is not fun is wrong because they're just doing it incorrectly. Because the truth of the matter is, the Bible is very clear that sin is fun, but here's the key for a season. Giving over to fleshly desires, is it seems okay. And young people, listen to me. It seems good, but it's for a season. And in the end, it will bring destruction. And you have to be careful. Here's this one. It says, in reckless living, he spent all that he had in reckless living. Now he's in a pig pen. It's the only job he could find because he has no money. That doesn't sound like that big of a deal except for this is a Jewish boy. He would not even be able to participate in eating pork, much less being in a pig pen. In a picture, what this is, is he is at the lowest of the low state in his life. And then check this out in verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. That's how low he was. I, I, let me eat some of what the pigs are eating. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He remembers there is a place of provision and there is a place of protection in the father's house. Verse 18, I will arise and I'll go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Again, it was love of the Father that allowed this man to be brought low so that he could truly understand love in his relationship with his Father. Number one in your notes, the everlasting Father loves. Number two, the everlasting Father forgives. Look at what the Bible says here in verse 20. Again, I'm going to go back to my father's house. Verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father's house. Can you imagine the scene? Here is this guy who, after spending all that he had, comes back to his father. If I am this man, I am wondering, how is my father going to react? How could my father ever forgive me? I have made too big of mistakes. I have wasted all of my life. And he goes on. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I want you to understand the phrase there, while he was still far off. That gives us a glimpse of the perfection of an everlasting father. Let me ask you a question. How did the man know, how did the father know he was a long way off? Because he was watching and waiting. I believe that this father, every day that the son was away, would get up and he would look upon the horizon. Is this the day that my son will return? It's today. He never stopped watching. He never stopped waiting. He never stopped hoping and believing that there would be a return that would happen. And it says here, he was watching and is waiting. 
Just a couple of things. It says, as he was afar off, he felt compassion. Do you know, uh, no matter if you found yourself in a pig pen, maybe a pig pen of your own making, the Father has compassion towards you. It says he felt compassion. The second thing it says, it says he ran. You need to understand this. See, in that time, that would have been considered undignified, right? You're the one that left. You run to me. You're the one that made the bad decision. You run to me. But as soon as he sees him on the horizon, the father is the one who ran. Because the father loves and the father forgives. And he ran to him. It says he kissed him. Well, you would expect that. He's been away for some time. But the original text here says it's a verb. It's a continual. He kept embracing him. This, my son who was lost, has now been found. The father, the, uh, he shall be called everlasting father. The father's love, he embraces him. And the everlasting father forgives. Oh, I've messed up. The father forgives. I've been too far I made too many mistakes. He loves, and then he also forgives. The last thing I want you to see this morning, the everlasting Father also restores. Let's continue to read our passage. In verse 21, it says this. So the Father forgives, he embraces, he runs after the Son. Look at verse 21. And the Son said to him, to his Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Can I tell you he's exactly right? He was no longer worthy to be called the son of the father because of his sin. Can I get, tell you the secret? You and I are unworthy also. I know you think you're all dressed up today and you're going to have pictures with Santa and everything. Look, but we know you. More importantly, he knows you. And the truth of it is, everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we are all ones who have been found in our pig pen of life. And we're all unworthy. He says, I am not even worthy to be called your son. And he's absolutely correct. Because it's not, the hero of the story is not the son. We focus on the son. The hero of the story is the father. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish in their pig pen, but they shall have everlasting life because of the love of an everlasting Father. It says here, everlasting Father. No longer worthy. It's what we call grace. Want to sound smart around the cooler at the office tomorrow? In case you don't know this, grace is known as unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but He gives it to us anyway. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but His love and His forgiveness and His restoration is because of Him, not because of us. He's the one that runs. Goes on. Check out this restoration process. Verse 22, But the Father said to His servant, Bring quickly the best robe. Underline the best robe. And put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and to celebrate. 
For this my son, my son, my daughter, the one who has returned, this my son was dead, but he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. He restores. What did he restore? Let's go through these very quickly. I'm not worthy. He says, you're not only going to be in my family. I'm going to restore you. I'm not only going to love and forgive you. I'm going to bring restoration to you. You have walked away from my covering, but today is a day of restoring. It says, number one, he put a robe upon his back. It was a picture of purity. Yes, you've made some mistakes. The Bible says we are clothed now in his righteousness. He takes our garments of filth. And he says, I'm going to put on a new robe. That new robe is not because of you, but it's because of an everlasting Father. And because of my love for you, I will take the old and all things that are old become new. And here's a new robe of righteousness. Put a ring on his finger. Not only did he give back his purity, he gave back his privileges. This was not any old ring you would get. Remember when you were a kid and you'd put the, ring, the, the quarters in there and you'd hope to get the ring out of the little candy machine? No, this was a signet ring. It would say, you are part of the family. The authority of the family belongs to you. I'm giving you back your position and your privilege. And shoes on his feet. Why is that important? Because in that time, only ones who would go without shoes are servants. And he says, you're not a servant. You are a son of the everlasting Father. Beautiful picture. From the moment we receive him, and somebody today is going to say, God, I need you to be my everlasting Father. I've been on the run. I'm in a pig pen of life. I, I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your restoration. And the moment you cross over that line, guess what? He gives you a new name. And He restores. And He forgives. Just this week, we had an extremely beautiful representation of exactly what I'm talking to you about this morning. Many of you were actually able to be there. I think we had over 40-something people, most of which were somehow tied to LifePoint Fellowship on, there on this day. But it was on Thursday morning. And there was a family in our church that has been with us for a long time now. They're actually on staff here. Our, our Connections pastor, Pastor Ben and Pastor Stephanie Bomas. And they invited us down to the courthouse downtown Houston. And if you weren't able to be there, maybe you saw some of this online through the pictures of Facebook, that kind of thing. And what it was, was it was adoption day. See, well over a year ago, they started a process. And they said, God, I feel like you're calling us to bring another child into our family. And they already have a bunch of kids, but they said, we're ready for more. And they'd been a well over a year process from fostering and all the classes and all that kind of thing. About six months ago, there was a placement of a little girl, and you've probably seen her running around here to Pastor Ben and Stephanie's home, and her name is Zoe. And little Zoe, this was adoption day. This was the day after all of the months of waiting that it was going to be official, and we were there to celebrate with the family. The courthouse was full, man. They were people were kind of snickering at us as there's so many people kept filing in. They weren't used to, uh, I, we done come to town. You know what I'm saying? We went to the big city. We're all filing in. We're sitting there waiting on the proceedings to happen. 
All of a sudden, we get towards the end, and the judge finishes up with a case before us and says, everybody who wants to come, come on up and approach the bench. Over 40 of us jammed into this little area. One of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen. Not only because we love these guys and we've been journeying with them for so long and they're such a blessing to us, but the picture of what it means to be part of a family and the privilege that comes along. Because as we're sitting there, we had saw one, it was a court where they did adoptions, and so we'd already seen somebody go through as we're sitting in the galley there watching. As we all gather around, the lawyer begins to approach the judge and say, here's all the legal things that I have to do. And one of the legal things he had to do was he had to name Zoe by her previous name and then say, is it to her best interest that her new name be Zoe Bomas? And the moment that that began to happen, the lawyer said, dear judge, I present to you before, and I don't remember the last name previous, but it was another name than Bomas. I present to you Zoe and said the previous last name. You could hear a pin drop as Zoe yells out, that's not my name. My name is Zoe Bomas. She had already taken on a new identity. We get to the end of the proceedings. The judge says, well, normally I would have to proclaim that it's in the best interest of this child, but I don't need to do that today because she has already made that proclamation for us. And from this day on, she is now Zoe Bombas. Do you know that there's privileges and position and a place that is now afforded because there's a new name. And she's now part of a new family. And somebody in this place today, you're going to step over that spiritual line that says, God, I want to be part of your family. And you're not going to be the, what you used to be. Now, you have been made brand new. And in that new relationship with a father who loves and forgives and restores, you have new privilege, you have new position, you have a new purpose. And it's all because, not the prodigal son, but because of an everlasting father. Today, just encourage you to make that step across. Last beautiful piece of this. The Bible says after restoration happens, the last thing I read to you a moment ago is, and they celebrate it. Somebody, there's going to be a celebration in heaven when you step over that line and say, God, I want to experience the love of an everlasting Father. For unto us a child is born, but not so that we could just have Christmas for Christmas' sake and go through the motions. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Why? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that we can get a discount at the store. No! 
For he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but shall have everlasting life because of the love of an everlasting father. Oh, but see, so I didn't have such a good relationship with my earthly father. He's not a reflection. He is the perfection. And today he's hoping. He is watching and he is waiting. All you have to do is take a step and he will start running. Say today. Today is the day of salvation. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Father, I love you. Christmas, we don't only celebrate when you came, but why you came. And the reason why you came is outlined in who we celebrate. The everlasting Father who brings perfect peace. Father, I've done what I feel you would have me to do today and I've shared the message I believe you would have me to share. But right now, would you make it very personal to us? There are those in this room that they're in the pig pen of life. And they would say, if I'm being honest, I don't know if he could love me. I don't know if he could forgive me. I'm too far gone. Why would he want to restore me? But something in my, in my insides is drawing me that he does love me. That's the Holy Spirit. Today, you've ran from God or you've never known him as your Lord and Savior. And you say, God, I want to be part of a family. I want a new position. I want a new place. I want to be part of that family of God. He says you admit that you're a sinner and you need him and that you're in the pig pen of life and believe that Jesus died on the cross after living a sinless life and confess that he is Lord and he offers that place of restoration and position. Today, if that's you, I've been running from God. I've never known him as my savior. This is a salvation call. This is a starting point. That's you with heads bowed and eyes closed. I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. See, so I don't want to leave this place not knowing where my future resides. Let him be the Lord of your life. If that's you, no one else is looking around, but I want you to be bold enough to look up at me. I want you to raise your hand. I want to acknowledge you. I want to pray for you today. If there's even one in this room, this is the time, even now. Let me see your hand. Let me pray for you this morning. Amen, are there others? morning. We're going to pray for those in just a moment, but there's others in this room that said, Cecil, I'm a Christ follower, but I don't know. There's some areas in my life where I've been walking outside and I've been flirting with disaster and I've not been under his covering and I'm kind of running and I'm not letting him be my everlasting father. And today, this message, even though I'm a Christ follower, speak it to me on another level. And I want to be included simply by raising my hand. All I am saying is, God, I hear you by your Holy Spirit speaking. I want you to challenge and change my life in the areas I need to grow. I want to walk in your forgiveness. I want to walk in your restoration. I want to walk in a new position with you. However that may be speaking to you this morning, you're a Christ follower, but you say in another way, God, you're... you're your Holy Spirit's highlighting something and I, I want to be included in this prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Let me acknowledge you as well. Let me pray for you today. Amen. 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 
I want us to pray, and after I pray, I want you to stay right where you're at in just a moment. Pastor Derek's going to come up. He's going to give us some final instructions, especially those of y'all who said, man, salvation is the prayer for today. He's going to help you to know how to take some steps. So stay right where you're at after I pray, and he'll come close us out. But right now, where you're at, don't let me be the only one praying. You tell God what's going on. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that peace has come because we have an everlasting Father. And right now I pray over those, and as I'm praying, they're also talking to you as well. I pray over those who are in this room who would say, I've never known you, Jesus. I've never been part of the family. I've ran from you. I don't know you. God, we admit that we need you. We confess that we need you. We believe that, Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins. Would you forgive us? Would you let us be part of your family? God, there are still others in this room. They're Christ followers. As I'm praying, they're confessing to you also. This is where I've not let you be my everlasting Father. This is where I've not been walking in my position as a son or a daughter of the Most High. I confess and I ask you in Jesus' name, to transform me and change me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.